And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to head over to the novelty shop to go find a spooky mask for Halloween. We're going to head to Eda Grove Cemetery and scare Chuck and Steve, because they deserve it. But we're also going to try and find the symbol of love that we all need to find in order to be able to accept ourselves and uh, be able to love ourselves. But on today's episode, we're going to be covering and celebrating, really, a truly wonderful piece of horror media. <laughs> Uh, that is Goosebumps, The Haunted Mask from 1995. Now, I would like to wish everybody that is listening a very, very happy Halloween. You are hearing this on the day of Halloween, so keep it spooky, bitches. I must say, like, you know, I've talked about how, like, Carrie was one of the first horror movies I saw and how it had such an impact on me and, and all these things, right? Uh, so, of course, I did. But let me tell you something. Uh, this piece of media, I mean, truly, is kind of my horror route, if you will, to borrow terminology from the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. You know, this is where I really started uh, in terms of loving horror and uh, being obsessed with it, really. Um, and so I thought, what better way to to really to honor this wonderful piece of media uh, than to cover it on my show? Why not? Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is something where it's deeply within my bones of just... I've seen this episode quite a bit uh, of this television show, which is obviously just iconic in its own way. I mean, it, this also, I think, is uh, a piece of TV you know, history that was so important for a lot of people who ended up becoming, you know, horror fans in their later years. And, and um, we'll talk about all that kind of stuff uh, during the course of our episode today. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just something where it, it is the perfect amount of you know 90s cheese but also there's a certain level of heart to this as well um and i am just so happy to be covering it so uh i hope you are too and um i'm just so happy to be able to talk about this and i've got i've got a good amount of stuff to talk about in this particular episode so uh, as we normally do, we're gonna, uh, and this is also the first piece, piece of, uh, TV that we're doing as well. I would love to maybe also do, uh, episodes on other types of TV stuff as well. Um, especially when it has a, I guess a cult following in a way, which also TV can have too, which is really cool. But anyway, uh, this is first spooky season, of course, but as we normally do on the show, we're going to go over some of just the baseline figures of the movie uh the piece of film that we're covering today which is what i consider it um but we're going to talk a little bit about just goosebumps as a whole how it came to be how did the tv show come about um and then also dig into the story and also you know just talk about it and shoot the shit because it's halloween bitch why not uh but without further ado let's move on to some production history a little bit about goosebumps and all that good stuff so before we talk about just the haunted mask in general right i think it's important to talk a little bit about just how goosebumps came to be and that's a whole lot to get into uh but we're gonna start simply with uh, a gentleman by the name of robert lawrence stein who's also known as jovial bob stein or eric affaby apparently now this guy uh would soon would be known uh to all kids as uh the stephen king of horror but he is known as rl stein so a little bit about R.L. Stein. He is from Columbus, Ohio. He was born in 1943. And pretty much he 
became, you know, a writer. Uh, he grew up in a Jewish family. And he began writing at the age of nine when he found a typewriter in his attic. And he began to type stories and joke books. And he remembers uh, reading Tales from the Crypt comics when he was young. And he credits credits that as one of his inspirations. And so he went to Ohio State University in 1965, where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in English. And while at OSU, he edited Humor Magazine, uh, The Sundial, for about three years. He then later moved to New York City to help pursue his career as a writer. R.L. Stein, under the name Jovial Bob Stein, he wrote like dozens of humor books for kids under that name. And he also created the horror, uh, he created the humor magazine called Bananas. And this was written for teenagers and it was actually published by Scholastic Press uh, for 72 ep- uh, issues between 1975 and 1984. Plus, he did various, quote, yearbooks and paperback books, and he was the editor um, and responsible for much of the writing of these things. Some of his features he did was uh, called Hey, Lighten Up, It Never Fails, Phone Calls, uh, Joe, which was a comic strip by uh, Joel um, Holstrom, who is, uh, again, he... Uh, was also in this kind of scene as well. Um, apparently that guy worked for High Times, which is kind of fun. Yeah, so he just had all these different like you know things he was doing as a comedy writer, really. He was just writing humor. But in 1986, he wrote his first horror novel called Blind Date. And so he also followed up with uh, many other novels, including The Babysitter, Beach House, Hit and Run, and The Girlfriend. And also for 90s kids out there who might be interested, and if you didn't already know this, he is actually the co-creator and the head writer uh, for the Nick Jr. show, Eureka's Castle, uh, which was from 1989 to 1995. So anybody who watched Eureka's Castle back in the day, that was actually also created by R.L. Stein. But in 1989, um, he began writing the uh, Fear Street books. Now, nowadays, we know Fear Street as a three-part movie series on Netflix, but they were books back in the 80s. And so before launching the Goosebumps series, though, he authored um, about three uh, humorous science fiction books um, in what was called the Space Cadets series, uh, which was titled Jerks in Space, Bozos on Patrol, and Losers in Space. And so in 1992, Stein and Parachute Press went on to uh, launch Goosebumps. So that's like the basic idea of like how that came. But let's get a little bit, we can get a little more granular than that. Just a little bit um, of just some history with that. But that's like the basic idea of how this came to be. So really it started off with um, these little horror novels he did and then he did Fear Street. And so because of Fear Street, that really kind of solidified him being able to make goosebumps i guess really i mean there's not too much to talk about with fear street really it was just kind of a different demographic honestly is what it seemed like um so really uh it always took these books always took place in the fictionalized town of shady side and really just had like average teenagers older than like the goosebumps teenage preteens um who would encounter malignant sometimes paranormal adversaries and while some of the fear street books um had paranormal elements such as ghosts a lot of more of them were just murder mysteries whereas the goosebumps books had a few tamed 
deaths. A lot of the deaths that are in Fear Street uh, were far more gruesome with more blood and gore. And it goes into this whole thing of, um, you know, the Fear family and all this kind of stuff going into it. I mean, again, you're not coming here for Fear Street podcast, but, you know, this is pretty much, you know, the basis of what he did. But when it came to actual Goosebumps, though, he had already worked with Scholastic to make Fear Street, right? So he'd already been doing that. And so really falls under the Goosebumps story as a whole, though. So these books, they really just uh, fell under, you know, horror and thriller and things like that. But really, he characterized them as scary books that are also funny. Um, And really, this was more so a lot of his really more so like preteen type stuff you know that's really what it was so according to the documentary tales from the crypt uh from comic books to tv rl stein said that he's remembered reading the popular or infamous like i said tales from the crypt comic books and uh so books and characters in the series were inspired by books and and films so like for example slappy the dummy was inspired by pinocchio the the piece of media we're talking about today the haunted mask was actually uh based off of uh the when he his son matt uh, had trouble getting a halloween mask off of his face one year and so he really just ended up uh writing these stories um that he you know really a lot of his themes were just like uh children triumphing triumphing over evil and also children just facing horrid or frightening situations and using their own wit and imagination to really escape those but yeah i mean the co-founder of parachute press who was joan uh waricha he persuaded sh- uh, she persuaded him to write scary books for younger kids um and so yeah and goosebumps actually kind of came from an ad in tv guide where apparently this tv station had um it's goosebumps week on channel 11 so he he initially signed a six book deal with um, Scholastic, but he went on to write six two books in the original Goosebumps series, the first of which was Welcome to Dead House in July of 1992. The series apparently was originally aimed at girls, but both boys and girls actually enjoyed the series equally, with half of Stein's fan mail uh, being sent from boys. And so, of course, also these cover illustrations of these books are pretty lit, too. Um, They are, a lot of them were done by Tim Jacobus. Um, So, and of course, like, iconic, amazing. But honestly, the following the release of the the first novel these really became popular though they sold um a million copies a month soon after they first arrived and four million copies a month by the mid 90s and really it it's kind of hard to to describe to people who maybe weren't there but honestly like when you think about it these books were this is before harry potter so like harry potter is kind of known as like the big you know, uh, best-selling children's book of all time and things like that. But, oh, Goosebumps was there before, bitch, okay? Let's not get it twisted, okay? Um, Like, it was 15% of, like, Scholastic's annual revenue by, like, 1996. So that's pretty a big deal, okay? There's a lot riding on that. Um, But, yeah, I I think for sure, like, this was um, just something where... It was that Harry Potter of its day, really. You know, yeah, I just think, like, 
uh, this book series for so many people, really, I mean, it, it honestly is just so... I think what's so big about it and what's so important about this in particular is really, and I want to uh, talk a little bit about this. So when it comes to these books, you know, uh, I'm not a parent or anything like that. I, I don't, I'm not an uncle or an aunt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but like, uh, no, I'm not an uncle or anything either. But like, you know... When it comes down to it, like, you know, as somebody who grew up loving horror, right, this was a way for me to get that adrenaline and be able to have that kind of a different view of, you know, literature and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and um, yeah, if you're interested as a kid, like, if you're interested in horror, it doesn't mean anything bad, uh, really. It could just be that you like that stuff. And maybe you grow out of it, and maybe you don't. It kind of depends. Um, I, myself, didn't grow out of it. But, um, but you know, I, I think that, you know, a big part of this, too, is that, you know, Goosebumps especially, you know, it was a very challenge as a book series. If you haven't already seen it, uh, there is a great little, it's a nice little documentary documentary on YouTube, or you can find it on Freebie or something like that, but it's on YouTube. It's called, um, I think it's called Scary Stories, but what it is, is it's actually a documentary that is about the scary stories to tell in the dark books, which were also very big as well back in the 80s, really, which are by Alvin Schwartz. And this documentary you can find, it actually has like his son in it, and it has like other people uh, as part of this, and they all talk about like their experience with this particular documentary, uh, or with this particular book series of scary stories to tell in the dark which were also fabulous but anyway so um with goosebumps though it, it was also a huge thing of like the fact that you have something where this is challenged because oh it's too scary for kids so oh kids kids don't you know they shouldn't be exposed to this kind of stuff because you know it's too scary for them it'll give them nightmares all that kind of stuff whatever whatever right and that's a fair point like i'm not going to deny that and disagree with it however i will say that there are plenty of kids who also just really like that stuff you know what i mean and and who's to say that we shouldn't have that for kids, you know, that is age appropriate, especially for something like Goosebumps that is fairly age appropriate. You know what I mean? And really when it comes down to it, like, you know, I know everyone, people are afraid of mortality and death and things like that. It, it, funny enough, Goosebumps isn't really even about death or dying, really. Um, scary Stories definitely kind of had that sort of um, thing because it was death and dying. But uh, people are so scared about like, you know, oh, mortality or like whatever but you're you're gonna have people who pass on in your life you know i mean like and it sucks but you know it's one of those things you can't always shield your kid from that you know at some point their grandparents are gonna die and and maybe they're one of their parents will pass away at a young age you know or, or whatever you know that kind of thing and so like it's one of those things where it, we're so precious about certain things but it's like well these are sometimes part of life it really is part of life um and i think horror for kids like is a totally fine thing that is exactly why you have you know a book series and tv show like goosebumps that is why you have something like even scary stories to tell in the dark you know and also why you have something like are you afraid of the dark you know and, and these these are things that are targeted to kids that are so important because it then sets somebody up to then be interested in the horror genre and the thriller genre if you will where it then can inspire them of like wow i really love 
these things and I maybe want to pursue that or whatever, you know, and, and so many, you know, there's, there's obviously examples of like Stephen King or like, you know, Elvira or like whoever who, who kind of grew up maybe liking spookier things or whatever it is. But that is because that's part of it. Like, you know, you grow up liking funny things and you want to make people laugh and you want to become an actor or comedian or whatever, you know, and Hey, yeah, maybe if you like, Tales from the Crypt <laughs> comics and Vault of Horror and those kinds of things, it's no surprise you then become like a horror novelist or you become like a horror film director or a horror film actress or like any of these kinds of things. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I do also want to mention, too, so in that documentary uh, that I talked about, uh, there's a great little part that I'm going to insert here, actually. Um, and it talks about book banning, and I'm going to get into that as well. But listen to this little excerpt that I have for this, and then we'll talk about it. There were many cases of school boards debating whether to keep goosebumps in the school library or not. And I'm happy to say that in, all, in most cases, the books were kept on the shelves. Most. There was a wonderful, I, now it was in Minnesota, I think, where a school board was going to take all the Goosebumps books away from their schools. And it was on C-SPAN. William W. Garrison Franklin. And a father stood up and he had a big stack of Goosebumps books. My name's Bill Garrison. My daughter goes to Franklin. I'm unable to read to her. For the simple fact that I'm a single parent and I had no time to read for her. So with these goosebumps collection that I have here, which I have not seen one tonight, encourage her to read. And if they're taken off the shelves, then I'm afraid she's going to lose inches to read and going to end up like me without a decent job because of no education. I want her to be able to read what she loves. I'm home in tears, right, watching this guy. I'm like, it was amazing. If the kids choose to read them, more power to them. If the parents don't choose to have them in the home, more power to them. Find one for to keep them on the books. So I hope you like my little insert from that little documentary. I must say, like, I really love how simple um, that, you know, guys uh, kind of rationale behind this whole you know thing with book banning um you know where it, this parent that i just you know inserted the clip about you know really he just wanted his kid to be better than him you know what i mean which i think a lot of parents obviously want you want your kid to turn out better than maybe you did or whatever right and so like just the fact of like hey look like if these books you know make my kid want to read and make them interested in reading or whatever, then, you know, I, I'm not that worried about like, you know, I'm not that worried about what the content is all the time. Um, especially something like Goosebumps where it's really like these, these books, yes, they are scary quote unquote, but honestly, like for a kid who's interested in that or who wants that kind of a thing, they're tame, obviously they're made for kids. So, I mean, and and of course, like, you know, so they do talk to, in the same documentary, they talk to one of the parents from the eighties, uh, who actually, you know, kind of had this, was kind of a crusade who had a crusade on these, like trying to get the 
these scary storybooks to to get out, you know, to get them off the shelves or whatever. And, you know, it's so sad, too, when I think about it. We'll get back to the haunted mask in a minute. But, like, but it's so sad to me that, like, you know, we still have book banning today, you know? I mean, and even probably it's even a little worse now because now it's like i i remember i was watching a, a youtube video about something and it came up with book banning or whatever um and something like the cider house rules was like banned out of schools because well spoiler alert for cider house rules um it deals with a quote doctor <laughs> uh who performs abortions actually and so but the thing is is like but that is like one part of that story. There's a, a lot of different things. There's also a movie with Tobey Maguire and Charlize Theron. But like, you know, I mean, that's one part of the story, right? But like the fact that, oh, no, we can't talk about abortion. Oh, we can't talk about any of that stuff. We got to take it away from the kids or whatever. I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Like, are you kidding me? Like, if I would think a middle school probably has Cider House Rules because it's really just a book. Like, it's not anything whatever but like the fact that like you ban that shit it's like what the hell is wrong man like what is going on here but you know it's it's crazy that it it really hasn't it hasn't really changed that much i feel like it only has changed so much (laughs) with just like how you know you want to censor books and the content to books and all these things when really what it sounds like to me is like when it comes down to it parents and you know, shout out Barbie, you know, um, for my part, Jurassic Park episode, but she has two young kids, you know? And, but the thing is, is like you as a parent in general, like you have to be aware of what your kid is watching or what they're reading or whatever. Um, so you can determine if you feel like it's appropriate for them, you know? And, and that is your job as the parents, not the fucking library's job to be like you know oh, we have to censor everything you know what i mean no if you don't want your kid reading goosebumps fine don't have it in the house maybe but don't then say they they you know oh all the books should be gone now oh all these goosebumps books need to be gone because i don't think my kid should be reading those because blah 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 that's so fucking dumb. Like it's it's stupid. But like anyway, that that's my that's my soapbox because I could go on and on about that. Also check out uh, Judy Bloom Forever because Judy Bloom is also a bad bitch. I have not watched the Are You There God It's Me Margaret movie yet, but I do want to watch it. Judy Bloom is also a bad bitch because she, similarly to R. L. Stein, has had to also deal with like uh, just people trying to ban her books because she wanted to talk about real shit. Um, and I'm all about, you know, talking about real shit, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I definitely wanted to get a little bit on about just like book censorship and like that kind of shit, because it's hard not to talk about that when it comes to Goosebumps, because it is a challenged book series and it was a challenged book series at the time. I I just think it was important to, to mention that and talk about it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, and then because this book series became so popular, they ended up making a TV show of it, of course, um, which we all know and probably love if you're listening to this particular to this particular episode listener um but yeah i mean um but yeah i mean and so the way that that tv show really came to be uh was honestly because uh they obviously went to to uh canada to go shoot it because that just it 
tax breaks, baby. Okay. It was mostly uh, done in Ontario, Canada, um, with different houses and historical properties um, in Toronto, Markham, and other outlying um, rural areas that were obviously um, the sets for each episode. Uh, so, yeah, they just ended up doing a lot of that. Um, Props for the series uh, were designed by uh, Ron uh, Stefanik um, and Alan Duchette. While Stefanik retained many of the animatronic props um, in his own studio after they canceled Goosebumps, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so Goosebumps actually started uh, airing on YTV, which is kind of like um, the children's TV. It's like sort of like the Nickelodeon of. Um, it's the Nickelodeon, pretty much, of, like, uh, Canada, I guess, if you want to think of it that way. Um, so it started airing there, um, and on Canal Famille, uh, in French, um, in Canada as well. Um, and so then, but at Fox Kids is where it started in... Because um, back in the day, there was a Fox Kids block that would show on Saturday mornings or whatever, and you could watch things, like Goosebumps. Um and then, of course, also Netflix uh, does technically have this still on their roster. Um, they don't have all the episodes, though, because they took down a couple of those. They only have the specials now um, because I think they're trying to get it for, like, I don't know. They're trying to get it for Disney or something like that because they are making a show uh, that is called Goosebumps that is going to be on Hulu and Disney Plus and things like that. So interesting, interesting, interesting. Anyway, so, but, I mean, that's a little bit about just that particular show and, and all of that. Um, I mean, it's a popular book series, so similarly to how the, the Harry Potter movies came out, you know, uh, this became a popular, that was a popular book series and then ended up, you know, spawning this popular TV, you know, movie series. Uh, and, and a lot of things did that, you know. I mean, shit, 13 Reasons Why was a book series. It was a, a, you know, I think it was a book series or a book or whatever. And then they turned it into a Netflix series. <laughs> Orange is the New Black, that's another one that they did. You know, it took one book and turned it into a literal TV show. Heartstopper technically is a graphic novel and it turned it into there because nothing is original anymore. Um, anyway, but yeah, so... But that's really, it was no surprise that they would end up turning Goosebumps into a TV show uh, or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we we were talking about, you know, we talked about book censorship and we talked about like Goosebumps and how it came to be as a show and all that kind of stuff. But let's get a little more specific about The Haunted Mask in particular. So I found this information that I'm pulling from uh, about the Haunted Mask and the TV show of Goosebumps in general from a little uh, a little website called uh, conventionalrelations.net. And it is a article that is uh, talking about the oral history of Goosebumps, the television series, which was posted in August 20th of 2020. Um, so they talk about how, you know, this is a book series and everything like that. Uh, but we have a few characters in this particular story. So we have Steve Levitan, who was a producer, um, who was uh, quoted in this article. Uh, also a, a couple different people. So like Timothy Bond, who we'll get to in a minute. Uh, we'll get to him. Uh, Amos Crawley, who plays Chuck in The Haunted Mask 1 and 2. Um, and Catherine Long, who plays Carly Beth in Haunted Mask 1 or 2, in 1 and 2. Um, and all that. And we also have a little bit of Ron Stefanik, um, who I just talked about. He was the pretty much creator of the creatures and the puppeteer of a lot of these things. Um, but 
Steve Levitan is quoted as saying, in the late 80s and early 90s, he was running a production company that produced a TV series called My Secret Identity with Scholastic. And so after his contract with that company was up, he started his own company called Protocol Entertainment. And so he flew to New York and he met with um, the people at Scholastic to talk about new projects. And so at this point, they were telling me that they had this new... uh, which was called in those days chapter books, um, flying off the shelves. It was called Goosebumps, right? So they gave them a few, he gave, they gave him a few of the books and they called, um, he called them when he got back to Toronto. He said, let's make this a TV series. Let's make this a thing. Um, so Steve Levitan is kind of a, a, a force to, to thank for Goosebumps, the TV show. Um, he's quoted, uh, their first response was, I don't think we can make a deal with you because Fox bought the movie rights, which of course then in 2015, they actually ended up doing the actual movie of Goosebumps. But it turns out they did not buy the TV rights though. So oddly enough, once we got the TV rights, Fox Kids Network was our broadcaster in the States, as opposed to YTV that was in Canada. So in these days, um, technology was not what it was today. Uh, the television, um, business for kids was not what it is today. Uh, The idea of making a TV series based on an anthology series of books where every episode has different characters, different locations, different monsters, different animals uh, for the TV production business. That's very expensive to shoot. And he thought he was the only one whose plan was to make it a live action show rather than animated. And that's what uh, I think that's what persuaded R.L. Stein. So a little bit of Stefaniak. Um, so he talks about, he's quoted as saying he went into his interview and he didn't have really the biggest portfolio, but he had a unique one. Um, his team didn't do just makeup and gore and zombies. Uh, their backgrounds were a lot wider in the sense that they did animatronic puppets. They did like Muppet style puppets. Um, they did giant creature suits. So when they looked at the covers of the books, it was clear that the show was going to need a range of odd characters. And so that's why he pretty much he got the job was because he went in to pitch it. He said, a lot of these people might come into this work thinking that you'll be lucky to have them. And if I were you, I'd hire someone who could kill themselves to impress you every day. I would go out of my way to make sure you never regret that you hired our company. Um, so then it was important to, to like make a distinction between this show and are you afraid of the dark, which was equally popular on Nickelodeon, which was also done in Canada. Um, but Steve Levitan had a fantastic writing team, which was led by Billy Brown and Dan Angel. Now, if you don't know who they are, they are obviously the guys who wrote a lot of the Goosebumps episodes um, based off of the books. But also, they are the same guys who actually wrote the uh, movie, the horror anthology, Body Bags from John Carpenter, which I have mentioned on the podcast plenty of times. Um, I love that little, sh- I love that little uh, horror movie. It's great. Uh, it's it's very accessible too. You can find it on Shutter. You can find it on Tubi. I think like it's really easy to find. So please go watch Body Bags. But the guys who wrote that actually ended up writing a lot of these Goosebumps episodes. Uh, they were the heart and soul of the show. Um, their deal with uh, R.L. Stein um, gave him the right to approve or reject any script based on first drafts. Um, And he started going through all the books uh, published up to that point to figure out which could be successfully adapted into a TV show. And not many of them could. So then we have Ron Oliver, um, who he was doing Are You Afraid of the Dark at the time in Montreal. And Fox called him and said if he wanted to do Goosebumps. And he flew from Toronto and he met with the executive producer, Deborah Forte, who worked at Scholastic. um, And 
they were trying to define the difference between Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. And there was a specific tonal difference. So, as many of you may know, but like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark were in the same genre. But Goosebumps always had an ironic, humorous, tongue-in-cheek uh self-consciousness that are you afraid of the dark didn't have and they're glad they went in that direction because i don't think there would have been enough room for two completely similar shows um which i think is fair totally fair so they talk about like casting kids and stuff like that so uh steve levitan talks about how the talent pool of adults was really easy because they didn't have much to do um it was really finding kids to do it so these main characters were 12 years old or they had like an eight or nine year old brother or sister um so 12 is a hard age to work with um you know uh, the best directors would have uh would find a way to have the kids say the lines uh, the way that they really um, say them and instead of acting them. Uh, you don't want acting chops. You want kids who aren't going to be spooked by the camera and it can also be themselves. And there were some of them who were naturally talented and super bright. Um, and some of whom have gone on to have like uh, cool careers. Uh, Ryan Gosling being a very good example of this, where he was on both of those shows, Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps. But, uh, and he's now Ken. But, like, you know, uh, but yeah, plenty of people. I mean, like, John White was another one. He's in The Haunted Mask 2. And he plays uh, Steve in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have other... Catherine Isabel was in an episode of Goosebumps, you know? Like, you have these people who have actually been able to make careers for themselves in just being an actor um, that also started off on this little TV show, which I thought was really cool. Um and of course, like R.L. Stein uh, said in 2015, he said, we used every Canadian kid there was. It was a totally Canadian production, and he would do book signings in the States. Kids would ask, like, hey, I'm an actor. How could I be on the Goosebumps show? And he would always say, you have to be Canadian. And every time the kid would say, what's that? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's super fun and cool. And I think really the heart of the Haunted Mask in particular, because they do talk about in this article, the Haunted Mask in specific, um... I think a really big part of this episode is really just the the performance of uh, Miss Catherine Long, who, if I'm not mistaken, I think, uh, cor- you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess. Uh, Catherine, come on the show. But uh, I believe Catherine Long is actually a, uh, a stage name for this lady, uh, as, as also with Catherine Short, who plays Sabrina in this episode. I think that was also uh, like a stage name for both these people. Uh, so their actual names, maybe, maybe her actual name is actually Catherine, but like, who knows? Yeah. Uh, but she was quoted in this, so they somehow got her, which was cool. Uh, she says she honestly doesn't remember much of her audition. They auditioned a lot of girls for the role, um, went in for a few callbacks, and they narrowed it to three people before she got it. And it was a little bit before, it was, Ed. she even says, there you go, Catherine Long, if that is your real name. Um, Goosebumps was a little bit like the Harry Potter of the 90s. It really was. Uh, but she wasn't really into it. She didn't realize how big it was. And after she got the part, uh, she got a huge set of the books and started reading them, as you should. They also talked to Chloe Sevier. Wow, Chloe Sevier. Uh, they call, talked to uh, Corey Sevier uh, from A Night in Terror Tower, um, who has also gone on and had a little career for himself. And he talks about like Catherine Short as well. Um, I'm not really going to go into that because it doesn't talk a ton about that. Um, Anyway, but yes, so there was like all the kind of fun things of like, oh, the long and short of it, because they were in, they are in four episodes in total together, because they did the sequel too. Uh, 
Um, but yeah. And they also talk in this article about how they met Ryan Gosling too, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, of course. Um, anyway, talk about the haunted mask though. So, um, they started off in the summer of 1995, um, and it would be the one-hour primetime special, The Haunted Mask, which is what we're talking about today. So Goosebumps was very unusual, Steve Levitan is quoted as saying, because there was no pilot. Once they got the rights to do the TV show, there were a number of broadcasters that wanted to pick it up. They didn't want to see a pilot, they just wanted to go right into production, and it's really unusual for a show to just go right into production like this. But because you have millions and millions of kids reading your books, you would think, okay, they don't need a pilot. People want this. And um, Amos Crowley, who plays Steve, who plays Chuck in these uh, episodes, uh, he remembers being aware that they were sparing no expense as when it came to kids TV. Uh, So kids TV didn't generally have a huge budget. And the Haunted Mask today might look a little cheesy by today's standards, but at the time they were really putting money into it. Um, He seems to recall that there was a TV exec from Fox whose kid loved the books um, so much so that uh, it was, she thought it was an important project. Um, Timothy Bond as well. He talks about how one of the neatest you know, things about this whole experience was meeting R.L. Stein. Um, cause he hardly talked to adults. He spent a lot of time with kids cause he himself is a parent technically too. So like, you know, and he knows that this is for the kids. So that's very important. Um, Everyone talks about how he has sort of like a Stephen King quality to him, which makes total sense. Um, and how he's actually a really super nice guy and super, super cool. Um, but this really relied on the uh, performance of its lead actress, Catherine Long, um, who that was important to to uh, have a good actress with this. And she had had um, a little bit of a career before this. She actually got nominated for a what was called a Gemini Award, which is pretty much like a um, Emmy Award in Canada. Um, she got nominated for that, for her performance. She didn't win, though, but that's okay. I mean, I'm not bitter for her. Um, I might just be a little bit bitter for her, but you know, it's whatever. It's fine. Um, anyway, but they talk about how like the mask, uh, was put on her skin. They made a mold of her whole face. Um, it was pretty much like a life face mask, if you will. Um, they put two, two straws in her nose and covered her whole face in plaster. Um, and it was like made specifically to her skin, which I thought was really crazy and interesting. Um, but yeah. And like, uh, Stefaniak, he talks about how they sculpted her mask. Each guy in the shop was told to sculpt a mask for the scenes in the costume shop, so they had the different masks that were there. Um, it wasn't written in the script, but they decided to base each one of the haunted masks on the seven deadly sins. Um, they were all made of soft pro- prosthetic foam, and because foam shrinks when it's finished cooking, it fits the head quite snugly. Um, and in the part of the episode where it sucks to her head, they just put air bladders into the mask and deflated them. And it stuck to her face and then they went in with and they glued around her eyes and put artificial gums and teeth onto her lips um so it was only about two or three hours that she was really in makeup which wasn't terrible um but you know yeah Catherine long talks about how she would like you know cry because <laughs> it was hard getting like all this shit off of her face pretty much and you know she was shooting all night too which was probably crazy as well um which is kind of gross and weird. Um, but, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, and R.L. Stein apparently really liked her, too. Um, thought she was a real trooper. And she never complained about it, which I thought was really cool. And also, uh, Catherine Long talks about how Tim Bond was the best director. Um, gave her so much freedom. Um 
you know, how like they were going to dub over her voice, but she actually had done some voice training. So she's like, oh, I want to maybe try, you know, maybe we can do it. And they ended up, I guess maybe to save themselves some money a little bit is also, they just used her voice for this particular character. Um, and then of course, um, this, in the beginning of the show, um, there is a scene where uh, Carly Beth has a worm put into her sandwich and she, uh, you know, is humiliated in front of the whole school. Um, and that was actually a real worm that she bit into um, because she knew that if it was a fake worm, like she wasn't really going to be able to have the reaction that maybe they would have wanted. Um, so they needed to have this, this, you know, real worm. Um, and they did it like 12 different times or some shit like that. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. After uh, watching the initial cut of the Haunted Mask, though, the broadcaster said we cannot put this onto TV because it's too scary. Um, And in every Goosebumps episode, there's kind of an ironic twist at the end. And in the Haunted Mask, actually, it was going to be that the brother, and it still happens, the brother comes out wearing the mask and then um, Carly Beth screams. And that was the end of the episode. And they just thought it was too scary. Um, You know, but uh, they ended up doing a lot more mild uh, form of that. But... It's probably in a vault somewhere, but nobody will ever see it, though. And R.L. Stein is quoted as saying with Scholastic in 2012 that his favorite TV episode was The Haunted Mask. Like, the person playing Carly Beth was perfect. It's scary. The mask's horrifying and all this kind of stuff. Um, with this premiere, uh, this episode premiered October 27th of 1995. It was watched by almost 8 million households in the U.S. And it continued to be a hit when it was released on VHS the following year, uh, which I definitely owned one. Um, and I owned The Haunted Mask 2 as well. Um, it was, it sold nearly 3 million copies and it was ranked, uh, by Billboard as the 75th best-selling home video of 1996 so it broke into the hundred which is pretty cool um yeah and steve levitan said that like we were expecting it to be really big when we got the rights to make the show there were only about eight or ten books published but they were growing and they knew during shooting it was going to be huge and before they went on air with fox they were selling a million a month Uh, when the show started it went to five million a month so they knew that the series was becoming as popular if not more so than the books um and Steve Levitan talks about how like he used to drop his kids off at school and there'd always be about like seven or eight kids there wanting to talk about the show because uh, they knew that he was a part of it, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, I mean, you know, if anything, like it's just like, I don't know, this particular and then this particular episode does talk um, about other stuff uh, like they do talk about Night and Terror Tower. They talk about just how this went on to um, this show became like a huge thing as well. Um, And they talk about Slappy, of course, the king of Goosebumps, obviously. Um, And yeah, and how it just changed by the end as well. Yeah. you know, they, they changed that. Um, but I really do think like, you know, uh, even at the end of it all, um, you know, they all talked about like how, for example, Amos Crawley talks about like, he remembers having a really good time. Like Tim Bond was awesome to work with. The other kids were awesome. Um, there's conversations every now and then where people will be like, Oh my God, I remember you. And you were, you know, a kid, you know, and he was also in, uh, Amos Crawley. Funny enough. He was also in, he also, him and Catherine Long were both in episodes of, are you afraid of the dark as well? Um, 
Amos Crawley is in The Ghastly Grinner, and Catherine Long is in a, a later episode uh, of the series of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, I don't remember what it was called, but it was where she was um, doing Macbeth. Um, I think it was her and Jay Baruchel, if I'm not mistaken. Canadians, what are you going to do? Um, and, like, Catherine Long looks back and says, you know, like, I always look back on Goosebumps very fondly. Um it set a work ethic precedent for me at a young age because it was demanding to film. It's great to know that it's something people fondly remember and that um, there are things that define their childhoods and Goosebumps define Goosebumps define that for a lot of kids. And she always thought it would be um, if they did another movie or in a one time special, you know, like it'd be cool if she could come back maybe and do that. I would love that. Catherine Long, if this is really who you were, you know, if this is your real words, I would love you for you to come back. It'd be great. Um, yeah. And like Tim Bond, like it was so long ago. It's funny how people keep a hold of goosebumps though. Like he through um, his agent, Tim Bond, he got a, um, a letter from an autistic, like a uh, 26 year old kid from Australia. Who's a fan. Um, but like finding people who know who you are because of this and, and how it's really just, even Steve Levitan talks about how, like, you know, it was a totally positive experience all the way through. It was fantastic coming to work every day and getting to hang out with, like, Billy Brown and Dan Angel. It wasn't that it wasn't stressful and there wasn't a lot of pressure, but it was a lot of fun and they'd do it again, you know? So I think that's really cool that, you know, it seemed like it was a fun time on this set and to do this show in general, you know, because it was so important for people and, uh, a little fun thing about Tim Bond, I, I forgot to mention it earlier, but Tim Bond, if you don't already know, he's a Canadian, but he actually was a part of writing a little horror movie from Canada from 1981 called Happy Birthday to Me. Uh, so that is the same guy who um, helped write it. It was him and like, I think he was brought in for additional writing or something. I don't think he like literally wrote the whole story of Happy Birthday to Me, but like he was a part of that, which I thought was really interesting. And it's so funny when you watch these things, it's like, wow, I kind of get it though. I I see it. And also I think Canada has that particular, like, especially with some of their horror movies they've done, uh, they have this particular kind of look to them or, or to whatever. Right. So, but yeah, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about all that fun stuff, you know? Um, and we already talked a little bit about just like how with, this particular, this was the first episode for this particular TV show. And that's very, very important. Very important. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was just, it, I think if anything, just really solidified what the show could be, you know? And I, I think the haunted mask in particular really, really helped that if anything. Um, talking about the themes of this i'll talk about the themes of it but the themes in this particular story are theme are themes of peer taunting and family frustrations uh the desire to fit in and peer pressure causes carly beth to behave in a disturbing manner because according to michelle erica green of familywonder.com she does not appreciate her positive qualities uh a publication called Children's Video Report uh, wrote that at its conclusion, Carly Beth has to, quote, learn to love and accept herself if she is to find happiness. And uh, Scott Blakely from the Chicago Tribune stated that the 
episode reveals the dark side of childhood cruelty towards those who find themselves out of step with their peers or the in-group. And so, yeah, I mean, that's so super huge, uh, you know, and and then, of course, there were some people who said this was like hokey, you know, special effects were hokey. It had stereotypical characters and a corny feel good message uh, that was from um, same person who, you know, talked about. <laughs> Michelle Erica Green also talked about this, but then she also said that it was hokey and shit, which I, I get it. Um, but like. I think if anything, like, I think the reason that this particular story just really, um, I think this particular story really resonates with people a lot of the time, um, is really because it's about somebody who's an outsider who really just wants to not be themselves in a way. Uh, I, I don't remember. Oh, let me find it real quick. But with there was an actual let me look at this real quick hold on uh there was an actual <laughs> there's a medium article that is written by a author uh named uh Nora Neither Kaplan from 2017 and they talk about how uh their article is called who I used to be self and self-loathing in the haunted mask. I'm not going to talk completely about that article. You can read it for yourself if you really want to. Um, but they also talk about how this episode and this story in a way is a little bit like an allegory for transgender people, maybe, you know, or, or the feeling that transgender people have, uh, and, you know, and this person in particular, I think this author is a trans person. Um, but I thought that was really interesting to also, you know, talk about that as well, because I could see it. I can understand why, um, you know, queer people or gender nonconforming people in a way um, can sort of uh, attach themselves to this story as well. I, I completely get it. Um, and I think that's a reason why I particularly bonded with it too um being somebody who was bullied and who was a little different or or whatever you know because of god knows everything but like you know i i think that's exactly why i love this episode and the series uh a lot you know and and this particular episode was just so important because you see somebody who it's similar to me with Carrie. I love Carrie because I love that Carrie gets to have her revenge. And in a way, Carly Beth gets to have her revenge, but she also gets to learn how to appreciate herself and love herself, which is so super huge, I think. But, you know, I, I think that's exactly why people like this a lot. You know, but we'll get into a little bit about exactly what Carly Beth and, uh, <laughs> and friends deal with in this episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the basic plot of this story is Carly Beth Caldwell is repeatedly scared by two classmates, Chuck Green and Steve Boswell. And on Halloween, they fool her into eating a sandwich that contains a worm. And in anger, Carly Beth runs home and rips up a dot costume made by her mother. And so she decides to go to a mask shop and hoping to find something that will scare Chuck and Steve. And so in the store, she finds a back room filled with some hideous masks. And the store's owner refuses to sell 
sell her any of the masks. So Carly Beth ends up stealing one and tosses money at the guy. Um, and so at home, she uses the bat mask to frighten her brother Noah. And she has trouble taking the mask off. And when it finally comes off, she and Noah are unsure about how it unintentionally changed her voice. And after putting the mask on again, she takes a mold of the head that her mother made for her um, and leaves the house to go meet her best friend, Sabrina Mason. And she's holding this um, head on like a, a broomstick, pretty much. Uh, Carly Beth then starts to act differently. She frightens other kids. She throws candy onto the ground and she destroys Halloween decorations. And after scaring Chuck and Steve in the Eda Grove Cemetery, uh, she buries the mold of her head um, that her mom made. And so she runs back into the neighborhood and she go, she and Sabrina go back to her house, uh, to Sabrina's house. And she is trying to take the mask off. And she is... Uh, unable to remove this mask from you know her face because it has become part of her skin um she then runs away and she runs back to the mask shop to find the owner waiting for her and the shop owner tells her that carly beth uh tells carly beth that this is a real face it's not actually a mask and the only way to remove it is with a symbol of love um, Carly Beth begins to cry out in horror and awakens the other masks and they pretty much chase her uh, into the cemetery and what she does is she digs up the mold that her mother made her of her own face and she you know uses it to deter the other masks and she's able to remove her mask at the end of the night she then returns home and she tosses the mask near the door uh, and she you know talks how you know she's learned a lot about herself tonight and everything and then she's horrified to find out that her brother is actually now wearing the mask upon uh, their return. And so that's the basic plot of this particular episode. Um, but I really do think, like, I think the beginning part, I think, really honestly, just all of the episode uh, parts with Catherine Long in them are honestly the the huge things for me that are, are so well done in this particular TV episode. Uh the beginning where her and Sabrina, so she gets scared by um, Chuck and Steve in a pumpkin patch. And so they, her and Sabrina have this whole conversation about like, you know, why do they do this to me, Sabrina? Why me? Um, and, you know, say, oh, you know, don't worry, Carly Beth. It's just because you're so scarable. That's all. And, you know, a lot of it too, like, I think some people have also kind of uh, talked about this as well, where it almost feels like Carly Beth has gone through some sort of like abuse or something. Like, I don't know. Like, but it, her thing is that she's just so scared of everything. She's a scaredy cat, but like, you know, that can also be something that maybe is a little bit deep seated. Um, it's just an anxious quality that she has. She just doesn't like to be scared. She doesn't like to be afraid. And people could definitely read into that of like, well, does she come from some sort of abuse? Like, has she experienced that in her life? Like, what do we know? So it's like, and I think just the performance that Catherine Long gives is so, so strong. Um, so like that, uh, where she rips up the costume, I, I really think that that was just a very strong scene as well, because she just cries. She is crying after being humiliated and she rips this costume up that her mom worked so hard on and like whatever. And, but you know what? Like sometimes it doesn't matter. Like 
you know, when you, you know, speaking for myself, at least like, yeah, when I would get bullied when I was a kid, like I would just sometimes cry, you know, And, and that's just what you do sometimes because you don't know how else to deal with it. And bullying can be very much something that affects you in your long-term life, you know? And, and I think we're so aware of that now, but like back in the nineties, it was a little different, you know? And, and really it, it's still something that's so important to just be aware of that. You shouldn't bully people. You shouldn't bully people in school. You shouldn't bully people at work because it's never going to be good for anybody. Um, but like, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think that, it's just trying to show that like, Hey, you know what? Like I want to get revenge. And also revenge is just something that like, you know, a kid wanting to get revenge on other kids, you know? And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's also a a kind of mature-ish theme as well. Kind of, you know? Um, yeah, so many of these scenes with her in it. I love the scene uh, as well where, you know, it's her, like, scaring Chuck and Steve in the in the cemetery because she's just like, you know, uh, yeah, it's creepy, man. Uh, but I love the scene as well where she's at Sabrina's house, and you can find it on YouTube, of course. You can find this particular scene um, where she's trying to take the mask off, and she's freaking out. And she goes up, and I still think it's really creepy and scary for a kid, especially, where she goes up and she has this. They also use, like, um, some, like, first-person views in this particular episode as well, which I thought was really cool and interesting. Um, But they go to the mirror um, in Sabrina's house, and and she looks down her, her collarbone, her decolletage, if you will, and she sees... Oh no, Sabrina, there's no line. There's no line here, you know? And then Sabrina's just like, I'm going to tell my mom, you know, because when you're 12, like, what else are you going to do? And then when she says, you know, when, when Carly Beth says, those eyes in the mirror, and she's like, what about them? And then she's like, those aren't my eyes, Sabrina. My eyes don't look like that. And then Carly Beth just says, those aren't my eyes. Where are my eyes? Where am I? And then Sabrina just says, you're scaring me. And then she's like, this isn't me. This isn't me in here. Um, And it's all these things of just like, it's so freaky for a kid. I'm just saying like, oh, it still gives me a little bit of goosebumps, you know, whatever. Like, but it does. Like, it's very crazy and creepy. And oh my God, like that would be scary for any. It's the thing with the eyes for me where she says, those aren't my eyes. My eyes don't look like that. Like, so it's imagining that like, you have this mask on and not even, you don't even recognize yourself. You don't even recognize your own eyes because they're different and it's fucking creepy. So like, Oh, anyway, so I love that. And you know, I, and also like when she goes back to the, the shop and she has the conversation with the, the shop owner and all this, um, she has that scene where she looks in the mirror and she's crying and she yells, she screams. And, and I think Catherine Long did such a good goddamn job at this so well, like she did so good. Um, and I, I feel for her, um, with her, 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 with her nineties, Bob, you know, I love it. And, and it's just one of these things where I, I am. Yeah. I, I just am. I love the fact that this story, it it's her having this whole arc 
you know? And really, at the end of it, she becomes a changed person, you know? And it really is just about, like, self-love and self... um, you know, self-actualization, if you will, um, growing as a person and, and all of this, I just really love that. And I, I think that this particular TV episode of this show, I mean, it really set the precedent for the rest of the series moving forward. Um, you know, it, it felt a little different. It felt like an experience, you know what I mean? And so like, I think that was so super huge and, I think this particular uh, episode of the show is one that is so memorable to people because of that very fact of that. I think it was in a way, yeah, it's hokey by today's standards or or whatever, but the message that we still have of it, uh, I think is really what, which is why people love it so much. The, the themes that are in it are still things that are, are pervasive in our, our particular society. Anyway, it's stuff that doesn't go away. Um, you know, the, the challenge to love yourself um, and to be able to have self-esteem and being able to do all of that is still something people deal with every day. Um, So I I think that's something that's hugely a part of this story, you know, very, very big. Um, But I think that's exactly why it stays around because you can still show a kid this it still spooks them and scares them, you know, but I also think like it teaches them that at the end of the day, you have to, you know, love who you are and love your own self. And, you know, even if you're being picked on or bullied, you know, you have to be able to try to have that sense of self-love or, or sense of self-esteem because if you don't, you can fall victim to something like the haunted mask really. So I don't know. I, I just think like, I, I mean, again, it's a chapter book for preteens. So like, you know, <laughs> like whatever, there's always so much depth to it. But I, I think the reason that this, this has been something so important for kids um, and something that is just so, you know, important for children's horror, especially is, is just the fact that, this was the precedent that was set, you know, and then moving forward, like you can't touch it really. Um, and then the fact of having something like this new TV show, uh, for, you know, goosebumps, which I don't really know about it. I haven't watched it or anything. Um, I'm recording this a little early in advance, so, you know, it hasn't come out quite yet, but, uh, I don't have high hopes, but, uh, whatever. I might be wrong, but, uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah, I I just think like this particular episode of TV, I think was such a huge thing for children's horror. And I'm always very interested as somebody who does not want children. Um, it's not like I don't like kids, but like, I'm not, you know, the, I, I don't know, like just not my, not my target demographic you know what I mean like I'm not like whatever they're fine but like (laughs) but I think it's important as somebody like myself who you know I grew up then having an appreciation for horror and wanting to seek it out do you know what I mean um and this particular tv episode really did that for me um as a kid and um I mean and I think it 
it did that for a lot of kids too. And I really think that it's important to keep, you know, children's horror alive, you know, and, and we're, we're lucky to have like, you know, things like, you know, are you afraid of the dark? And, you know, the goosebumps TV show, you have the goosebumps movies and like, um, other things like Coraline and like Hocus Pocus and things like this that are able to kind of keep that tradition alive because I just want to make sure that that is something that is accessible Um, because it is something that people really can enjoy and love at a young age Um, and it can then inform them of what they may want to do with the rest of their lives, you know, like maybe you go and you want to be like a special effects artist because you love horror movies, or maybe you want to go and be an actor or a, a writer because you're like, oh my God, I love those TV episodes and I wished I could you act in them or, oh, I could have written an episode that I thought was really good that I had an idea about or, or whatever. Um, You know, as we, I, I don't know how much I mentioned it on the podcast, but like, you know, um, films are so super important and especially with films that you see as a kid or or tv uh episodes that you see as a kid um those have a huge impact on you and so i I think this one definitely had a huge impact on me which is why i'm talking about it but really i i just think like in the spirit of Halloween, in the spirit of Sawin, if you will, uh, you know, uh, Sam Hain. Uh, but I think that this particular episode of TV uh, is so super integral to that. Um, it has become kind of a yearly watch for me around this time. Um, so I'm definitely probably watching it today. Um, but like, you know, but I, uh, I do think it's so super important. And I always want to, you know, to champion the fact that it's important to have these kinds of things out there uh, for kids, for young people to enjoy um, that are age appropriate. I also did want to get on my little soapbox uh, earlier and talk about book banning and how challenged books are kind of a so super antiquated idea. And I do not agree with that at all. Um, You know, and I really just think that it's not up to a library to just censor things that you may not like. You know, it is a library's job to be able to disseminate information out to the masses and to be able to curate uh, literature and information. That is what a library is there to do. That is why that's important because, you know, as history will show, that at, at a time, you know, the the uh, the people in power, the oligarchy, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the elite, if you will, um, you, you know, they've wanted to keep, you know, print from people. They've wanted to keep print from the 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 peons, if you will, or whatever you want to call it. But like this is important. And to talk about something like Goosebumps, you have to talk a little bit about book censorship and book banning and all that kind of stuff, because it is a part of that conversation. Um, so I, I did want to also talk about that as well, because I think it's because I, I think back to that that guy that you know I, I inserted that clip about earlier that really at the end of the day it it's really all about just like you want your kid to turn out better than you did you know and you want them to do better than you are doing you know and and 
whether or not you like the content of something or whatever, I'd rather somebody like what they're reading than not. Um, and if that instills a, an interest for reading and an interest for literacy, and it helps set them up to be able to get a good education so that they can actually do something with their lives. Great. And, and I think the fact that that gentleman from earlier, you know, in that little clip I had, um, the fact that he is somebody who even says like, I don't have a good education. I don't have these things. I don't have the time to read to my daughter, but like, you know, I just want her to be able to set, up to be able to get an education so that she doesn't end up like me with no education and no good job or whatever. I mean, you know, and, and you could go into the weeds about book banning and, you know, book burning and like all this kind of stuff, right? And book censorship in general. Like I said, check out that Blue Dude, Judy Bloom documentary. It does, does talk about that as well. Um, and even in the little documentary about scary stories, they talk about how like people get so impassioned about that. But I mean, you know, I get it. I, I get that you don't want your kid exposed to certain things or, or you may not agree with certain things that are, are in literature or whatever the hell. Um, but guess what? That's not, that's your job as the parent to be aware of that. That's what that is. So Oh God, I really could go on all about that. We could have a whole conversation. Maybe we will. Who knows? Um, maybe I'll get a little symposium together and, and talk about that because it's just something that's so frustrating. But it is something that happens. And the same thing goes with films, of course. And we can get in all about that with films as well. But like, you know, but I think that at the end of the day, to kind of wrap up a little bit, um, I think with this particular episode of TV, the the Goosebumps Haunted Mask like of goosebumps, the haunted mask, you know, I really do think like this particular episode did such a number on me, if you will. Um, but it is the first piece of horror media that I saw that really affected me, that I really enjoyed that I loved watching and I really liked, and it really set me up to be a fan of horror throughout my life, you know, and, and I'm so happy for it. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm hoping that R.L. Stein has a good bag of money uh, for what he's done. Uh, you know, hopefully, dear God, I hope. But like, you know, I, I'm just glad that this is, exists out there that it's out there for the young horror fans. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're a fan of this too, shout out, you know, um, because I love it too. Um, and I know that, you know, if you're listening to this and you like it, I know that you probably understand that, like, there is this kind of deeper story in the haunted mask, um, that maybe some of the other episodes of goosebumps didn't always have, you know? And so I think that's why this resonates with people a lot. And it resonates with people like you who are listening. Um, and I just appreciate you, you coming to, to listen to this today because this is deeply personal for me and it's a deeply important piece of media for me to, to talk about. But, you know, I don't, I don't mean to get all deep and sappy or whatever, but yeah, I mean, it's super big and I'm glad to be able to, to share it and talk about it. Um, and I think it's so perfect for the season. Um, I hope you all have had like an enjoyable, uh, spooky season. I hope it's been good to you. I hope you've watched a lot of spooky things, scary movies, whatever you do. Um, and if anything, I wish you all the best and I wish you a very nice and happy Halloween and, uh, be sure to tune in, uh, for my next episode. Thank you so much and happy Halloween, everybody.
Take care. Bye.